Hi, it's Lisa. Welcome back to The Healing Path, a podcast created to connect our broken hearts as we chip away at the stigma of speaking honestly about grief and loss. After losing two of my children over 20 years ago and trying for decades to feel better, it finally occurred to me that I could choose to end the struggle. I spent years yearning, reading, journaling, meditating, and coaching, and therapy, and in prayer, trying to achieve some state of quote-unquote feeling better. What I now know is that was never a worthy goal. Looking back, I wish someone had told me that my job wasn't to feel better, but rather to create a life around those holes in my heart. Maybe they did, and I couldn't hear it. But learning to build life around our sorrow, rather than fighting against it, could just be a ticket to freedom. I still grieve, but I don't work so hard at hiding it. I have found that telling the truth about it helps me to feel like more of who I actually am. So I created The Healing Path to help you and others do the same and end the struggle. By sharing our experiences in a compassionate environment, we can all stop covering our scars and start wearing them proudly as the medals of love that they are. Today, I'm chatting about the phrase, I'm sorry. The word sorry is defined by Merriam-Webster as number one, feeling sorrow or regret, two, used to express polite regret, and three, used to introduce disappointing or bad news in a polite way. When someone says, I'm sorry, we pretty much all understand what this means. And in the realm of grief and loss, these words are meant to convey sympathy or regret that something has happened, like the death of a loved one. Our support communities say this, cards and emails include it, and I actually find these two simple words respectfully supportive. They have an empathetic tone, which, if spoken by someone who isn't usually known for their ability to see the world through the eyes of another, can be quite miraculous. Saying I'm sorry is an invasive It's unattached to a response or an outcome. It is the culturally appropriate way for us to express support to others who are hurting. Switching gears a bit and considering the universal nature of grief, since death is something that no one escapes, shouldn't the experience and the expression of grief also receive universal acceptance? Specifically, why do we expect grief to go private once the dust of a loved one dying settles. In the first few days and weeks, it's all, I'm sorry, and it seems okay to grieve. But once the funeral's over, and the flowers dry up, and the food spoils, and there are only dresser drawers and bathroom counters full of our loved one's essence to remain, it seems we no longer have carte blanche to display our grief in public. This is a bigger conversation that we return to again and again. For purposes of this chat, I return to our working definition. If saying, I'm sorry, is an expression of regret, apology, or bad news, why is it that when we shed a tear, or lose control, or get confused in the aftermath of a loved one dying, do we switch roles from the person who is hurting to the one apologizing for our grief? Aren't we the ones struggling? Yet, we can all recall a time we were speaking to someone who wept about a loved one dying, and almost as soon as that first tear fell, 
They were saying, I'm sorry. We look down, we pat our eyes with a tissue. And it's almost like grief gets a day in court time window to exist in the light of day. The time frame is inclusive of the days leading to the funeral, past the traditions being carried out, and the travelers returning to their parts of geography. But after about a week to 10 days, it seems the switch flips. And as grievers, we begin owning not only our own suffering, but also feel like we need to shield others from it. Why is that? And what can we do to change this cultural expectation? Is it any wonder most of us don't feel safe enough or worthy enough to mourn the death of a loved one? I don't have the answers. I just know the hollow flow of stale air that flows through my chest when I used to apologize for grieving all too well. The best suggestion I can make is try not apologizing next time you get choked up and seeing if showing up as the person you actually are can empower you instead of retreating, wiping tears, and hurrying to change the subject as we have long been entranced in doing. So if this resonates with you, this idea that we're constantly helping others to feel better when we are in pain ourselves is a challenge. And I think it speaks to the heart of why there is such a negative connotation with talking about loss and grief. And going back to the introduction of the podcast, creating a space where we can speak open and openly and among compassionate souls is critical because out in the daily world, it just doesn't seem culturally acceptable. And I don't think as grievers we're making this up. Just watch a TV show or a conversation with a colleague or a friend or anyone who has a lot going on or perhaps has lost someone. The moment that we start to show anything negative, we will immediately apologize and do what we can to do damage control. I'd like to stop doing that. In fact, I have stopped largely doing that. Although everything is a work in progress, I do challenge you to do the same. And conversely, if you are bearing witness to someone else's pain, the moment they apologize, interrupt them gently and say, it's okay, I want to know, or please don't feel like you have to hide what you're feeling. Invite them to share. It would be not only refreshing, but it might just help the both of you support each other. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Healing Path. Please visit lisamcfarland.com for more on this and other posts. And join our digital support community, which will be coming in a few short months at Scars to Metals. That's S-C-A-R-S, the number two, and then the word metals, M-E-D-A-L-S.com. Until then, stay present, stay grateful, and stay healing. And thanks for listening.